Listen, my name is Jeremiah Woods, and I want you to know a couple of things if you're watching this video. It's okay. It's okay. Whatever may have happened, it's okay. We're going to work through it. Now is the time, though. If you need immediate assistance, click the link below or call the number. Or you can reach out to the Hands Off Foundation, but you do not have to go through this process alone. You deserve to have someone hold your hand and, and be there to support you and listen to what has happened so that you can be the best version of yourself. Come on, join me on this journey. We're going to have some fun. You've now locked into Living Blessed, the podcast, where we're talking the highs, the lows, the darkest moments that we've all hidden from the world and everything in between. This is the moment of truth. This is why we're living blessed. And now your host, Jovan J. Palmer. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Living Blessed, the podcast. I'm your host, Jovan J. Palmer. And as always, we got special and dope people on the podcast sharing special and vulnerable moments. I got no other than the late, the great. <laughs> Jeremiah Bowtie. Oh yeah. Woods. We in the building, baby. What's happening? Oh, chilling, man. How you feeling? Wonderful, man. If I was feeling any better, I'd have to pinch myself. Ah, it's a very it odd feeling, but I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> man, I appreciate you coming through. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. I had to do it. Had to do it. Had to do it. Glad we gotta set the streets on fire. Oh, for sure. Because what you're doing is very dope. It's unheard of from a male perspective, I believe. And I want to get into it. So I want you to introduce yourself to the people. Let them know who you are and all that good jazz. Yeah, so my name is Jeremiah Woods. I go by Bowtie. It's an acronym that stands for being bold, optimistic, wise, tangible, impactful, and effective. Um, I'm the executive director of the Hands Off Foundation. But more importantly, um, I'm helping 28 million women a year who have been affected by sexual assault. We're going to change the world. Let's get it. So as a male <clears throat> and you're in the sexual assault space, how do you, did you ever feel like you would be perceived a certain way as a male bringing awareness to it? 100%. I think about it all the time. What do you, um, what's your thought process behind it? Um, it is very uh, imposter syndrome-ish mm. uh, because um, you have to deal with two sides, right? So you have to deal with a lot of men who feel like I'm always attacking men. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, you just, you just, you just trying to cater to, you're trying to pander to women. You're breaking the G code, right? You're breaking the G code. And then there's on the other side, respectfully, um, sometimes women may feel um, not that they can't trust me, but just in what's happened in their life, it's hard to trust men in general. Mm. Especially since we know that most assaults happen by fa friends, family, people you know, people you love and trust. For sure. So when it comes to someone who's saying, hey, trust me, I got you. Mm -hmm. It feels too reminiscent of someone in the past who said that that then assaulted them. So it's definitely a, a difficult path to walk. Um, but I think that transparency and just being an upstanding individual is how you, you combat that. Some get it, some don't. But you rock either way. That's dope. So have you ever experienced sexual assault at all? Myself personally, yeah. no. <clears throat> so not not in the at the depths of how it can go. So on the spectrum of things, yes. And I break that down. Yeah, please. So what I mean by that is sexual assault is any type of sexual activity, behavior, or um, function that is coerced that was not consensual mm. uh, in a sexual manner. So something as simple as someone coming and rubbing on your shoulder in a, in a sexual manner can be considered sexual assault. Um, so when I say it that way, we've all experienced it. There's not one person on this earth. And I dare anybody to challenge me on it that has not experienced some type of sexual assault. The difference is some crimes you can prosecute, some you cannot. So if I was to just rub you on your shoulder and say, oh, Joe, that beard, man, <laughs> I like that. And you didn't ask for that, right? I start feeling, you, you didn't ask me to touch all on you. Yeah, yeah, you didn't yeah. ask for any of that interaction, right? 
It's non-consensual. So that would be a version of sexual assault. Would you really? be able to prosecute it? No. Would any, any officer arrest you? No. Why can't I prosecute it? <clears throat> um, because of the way that the laws are written, there mm -hmm. really isn't a crime that took place. For a crime to have taken place, it has to fall into the laws and, and what's on the books. So things that we know are sexual assault, right? Fair warning, trigger warning, rape, molestation, those things, right? Fondling, those things are things that are considered mm -hmm. like charge. You can put a charge to it. Yeah. Like I can charge you for raping someone. Mm -hmm. I can charge you for um, co uh, coercion of, of a sex crime. I can charge you for um, sex trafficking, things of that nature. I can't necessarily charge you for rubbing your hand on my knee. Not against the law, yeah. but if, let's say, and we put it in the context of women, since I work with a lot of women, if you're at dinner and, and maybe you're talking to someone, maybe you're at work, which falls under sex or harassment, and someone um, is caressing your thigh, you didn't ask for it, it wasn't freely given, it wasn't consensual, it wasn't implied, there's no, but it's not it's something you're, you're going to be able to press a charge on per se. Right. And so that's what I mean. There is not one person on this earth, on God's green earth, that has not experienced some level of sexual assault. It may not be as extreme as rape, but it definitely has happened. So take us back on the journey to where you feel like you've experienced your first personal interaction of sexual, what do we call it? I would say, um, you, we could say assault, but I don't want to minimize yeah. what the other people have gone through. Correct. So what I would say is the first level that I, I realized that there was activities that weren't necessarily consensual. It is, it is very minimal. So let's let's put that in perspective. But the first uh, time that I can remember, somebody was coming up and touching my hair. Like a lady just came up, she's like, oh, I love your hair, and just running her fingers out there. I ain't asked for that. Like, back up. This is pre-COVID, like this is before everybody was like, oh, give me six feet. This is just like things that people do. And, and this is where the biggest portion of sexual assault comes from the consent portion. Right. And so I guess to clarify my statement, we've all been in scenarios where someone did something we didn't consent to, whether that is something you can charge or not. Because consent is the biggest portion. You can do whatever it is you feel like you might want to get involved in if both parties consent freely, without coercion, without being forced, mm -hmm. without being manipulated, but just freely consent. And so I would say that's probably the first time I realized that when people just start running things through my hair to, oh, your hair is dyed or you got a lot. Stop touching me. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> so <clears throat> in this sexual assault space, what what intrigues you to say, you know what, I want to do something about this? Um, so it's, it's actually, you would never believe it. So I was living my best life, right? I was, I want to say I was 18, I believe. I was working in sales. I had started working for a major telecommunications company, uh, making good money for age 18. I had my own cars paid off, nice little sales. You know, I'm living. Mm -hmm. um, dating this beautiful woman who I ended up marrying. Um, just living my life. I was in my own world. I figured I was going to take over and be an executive of this, this company I was working for. And that's just where my life was at. And I got a letter in the mail for jury duty. So you've been summoned, looked at it, laughed. <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> Who going this one? Nah. Contacted the courts. So I said, um, I'm sick. It was like, okay, well, take some medicine. It's like, I got religious excuses. You know, my, my religion doesn't participate in said orchestrations. They mm -hmm. was like, okay, don't know what religion that is, but it really doesn't matter. You're still summoned. Um, I was like, well, my job's not going to let me off. And they was like, well, that's against the law, actually. Did not know that, but apparently it is definitely against the law. Your job has to let you off if you've been summoned for jury. Right. And uh, long story short, I ended up having to, to go. And I was like, there's no way they're going to pick me. Like, I just don't look like the person you want sitting on the jury. Mm -hmm. I knew it. I was like, there's no way. And I got picked. Um, and the court case that I ended up being uh, selected for, uh, 
It's a 12 and a 15 year old girl accusing their stepfather of sexual assault and uh, molestation, uh, rape, statutory rape, a couple of other different things, right? And um, at the start of it, I thought, you know, there's no way I'm going to get selected for this year. I was selected, and we went through seven days of deliberation. We heard the testimony, we saw the videos, uh, heard the cross examinations, the whole nine. And after that seven day period, I believe that this individual is guilty. I thought that it was 100% open and shut case. He's going to jail. We did a good thing. On the last day of the court day, last day of court, the two young ladies got on stand and they said a statement that really changed my life forever. Mm-hmm. And they said, we don't know this man. So let me put that in context for you. This individual, their stepfather was engaged to their mother. There was nine children that lived in the home. The latter of the two, both of those children, the, the youngest, were both under the age of two years old, uh, or under the age of four, I'll say. Um, this individual took them to school back and forth. They lived in his house, had family dinners. There's pictures of them together. So to say you don't know the man. Wait, <clears throat> sorry. Who doesn't know this person? The, the two daughters. They're saying that they don't know this man. Don't know their stepfather. Never seen him, never heard from him, don't know his name. How? So that was the question I had. And so when we deliberated, we had six jurors that felt either they were lying then when they accused him of the sexual assault or they're lying now on the stand. And either way it goes, they're liars. Yeah. And then we had six jurors that felt there's no logical reason that someone would get on stand on the, on the stand and say they didn't know their stepfather. Someone who they've been living with, someone who had been in, who's engaged to their mother, mm-hmm. has two young children. Like this is you live in his house, um, and that something had to have happened there, and so it ended up in a hung jury. We had six guilty votes, six not guilty votes. Explain hung jury. So what that means is that the jury could not make a definitive decision one way or the other mm-hmm. of this person's guilt, and I left that day furious. I ain't gonna lie to you, Joe. I want to put my hands on them. I would have too. Wanted to put my hands on him, Joe. <laughs> I was hot to try. <laughs> I mean, it was it was like it was that time. So like, dude got away. One hundred percent. Yes. One hundred percent. These girls are talking about they don't know this guy, mm-hmm. who's probably been in their lives several years. Several. Okay, several years. Several years. Yeah. How old are these two young ladies? The one was at the time. Also, oh, I'm glad time. you asked. At the time of the assault, one was twelve, one was fifteen. So they it know. It took two and a half years for it to get to court. So by the time we got to court, mm. the 12-year-old was 14, about to turn 15. The 15-year-old was 17, about to turn 18. So do you feel like there was a guilt trip that probably happened from mom? Because some, there's sometimes when sexual assault happens within a relationship and there's mm-hmm. kids involved, the spouse or other individual, they would choose to cover up for that person or they'll choose to kind of like change the story, the narrative of what happened. Do you feel like that's possibly what happened? 100%. I believe that it was 100% environment-based. And let me explain what I mean. Mm-hmm. So the defense attorney posed a question and he asked the mother, he said, well, if you believe that your fiance was responsible for this type of egregious crime, why didn't you take your daughters to the free court mandated therapy? Valid question, right? I'm sure you in the audience probably asked that. If someone was assaulted, why not just go to therapy? Why not go to the police? Let me break it down. So what happened was the mother was working 14 hours a day at a warehouse because not only was the stepfather unemployed, um, but after he was arrested and sitting in the cell for two years waiting for this trial to come up, um, all the bills fell behind because she was trying to maintain the household, nine kids, 
you know, on a warehouse salary. So let's 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 keep it real. In America, she lived in. Well, I won't say where she lived, but it was in Georgia. So you know, most warehouses. This is before the push for fifteen dollar minimum wage and all that. So this is when nine. she probably made about nine nine fifty ten dollars yeah. an hour. Nine kids, not gonna cut dollar each kid. Uh, right. <laughs> and so the therapy was free. And, and when they asked why I never took it, well, she was always at work. And at this time, both of them were not driving age. And so this is what is the really the crux of when you ask me what led me to get involved. I realized that in America, we have a fundamental issue with how we support survivors. We always say, well, free therapy, free therapy, free therapy. You see somebody, see something, tell somebody. The problem is, and this is my fundamental belief, and I don't care who disagrees with me, we can argue about it any time of the day. I got stats and figures to prove it. If you don't have a safe place to live, a safe place to work, you never have a safe place to grow. Mm. And I equate growing with therapy. Now, take all of that and break each piece of that down. You said a safe place to live. Yeah. Work. Yep. Grow. Yep. Take each one of those and elaborate on those, like in the safe space to live. If you don't have that space, safe space to live, what happens? What's the outcome? Right. So if you don't have a safe place to live, the outcome, um, you don't have anywhere to rest or recharge. Mm. You don't have a safe space to decompress. You don't have a place where you can feel comfortable to lay, lay down your head. In this case, these young ladies truly didn't have a safe place to live because they lived with their abuser. Yeah. So once you tell law enforcement, unless you're immediately placed somewhere, you still got to go back home and look at this person. You still got to go back home and look at your mother who's now looking at you like, well, why didn't you tell me? I would have did something. Now the police are involved. Now they're going to take the kids away. And so you've already had to, victims are tra re-traumatized at least seven to nine times after telling their story. Mm -hmm. So now after you've had to go and you talk to this detective and they ask you all the nitty gritty details, because you can't just say I was touched inappropriately. They need to know exactly how you were touched, exactly what happened. What was the exact breakdown of what you're saying? What was the offense, if you will? So if, when you don't have a safe place to live, you can't focus on work. And see, it's all tied together. If I don't have a safe place to live, it's just like when people, when you meet someone who's homeless, but they have a job. And you say, well, why don't you get your life to, well, they don't have a safe place to live. Mm. So yeah, they're going to show up late occasionally to work. They're not going to care about providing the best customer service. They're not going to do all the things that go into whatever your job or your work or the way that you create income for yourself is. Same side of that coin, if you are working in an environment where you're being harassed, we know that women get harassed on the work, in the workplace all the time. HRs, most HR departments for most companies are not adequately trained on how to handle a sexual harassment claim. It is not as simple as just separating them. Yeah. It's not as simple as, well, just don't talk to them. Right. It's not as simple as, well, we're going to send them home for three weeks. That does not fix the problem. And so if you don't have a safe place to live and now you don't have a safe place to work, it doesn't matter how much free therapy I'm giving you. It doesn't matter how much I say, well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. Because at the end of the day, once we get done doing our talking, once we get through doing our alternative therapy, so art therapy, music, et cetera, mm -hmm. you still have to go so, back yeah. mm -hmm. to the very environment <laughs> that traumatized you in the first and place. And pretty much what's happening is like, you're getting the help, you're going back to that space, being re-traumatized again, and then pretty much it's like all the sessions that you're doing is pretty much not doing any work at all. It's, 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 it makes the process longer because the best way to look at it, Joe, mm -hmm. is like a scab, right? You get cut and your body does what it does to start covering up that scab. Right. But then you go get cut in the same spot again and again 
and again and again. And so the, your body never truly has an opportunity to fully heal. Right. True enough, under each time that scab is ripped off, technically you may be a little better than you were the last time. For sure. But you're recutting open the womb. And that's what happens for most survivors, men or women, but a lot of times for women because they end up having to go back or stay in those environments where the very assault happened. Or mm. here's what's even worse when I say a safe place to live. They're in an environment where the people around them don't believe that the assault happened. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the most traumatizing thing that most survivors go through is not only do I have to deal with the fact that this happened, I have to deal with the fact that you think so little of me that I would lie about it happening. Absolutely. And then continue to tell this story over and over again as if survivors get something out of it. Because let's be clear, the prosecution rate is less than 5%. The monetary compensation rate oftentimes is little to nothing because civil suits only work if the person you're suing has something. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have any assets or tangible funds or anything that I can really get from you, a civil suit is not really going to guilt very much. Most times survivors are blamed for this all. You should have done this. You should have done that. You shouldn't have been here. You shouldn't have wore that. You shouldn't have said that. What do survivors get out of it? It's trauma. Retraumatization all over, over, over and, and over and over and over again. and over again. And then if someone does believe you, an advocate like myself, as unfortunate it is, hey, would you like to tell your story? Because there is strength in telling your story, right? Oh, absolutely. There's strength in, in coming out and saying, this is what happened to me. This is what took place. I want to let people know because it's healing for me. But at the same time, you have to tell that story over. again. And you've got to listen to people nitpick it again and say that it's not true again. And go through this whole process. So if you don't have a safe place to live, work, and grow, you'll never be successful. Dang. That's heavy, man. I've never thought... Uh, being a victim of sexual molestation. Right. You know, it's just, you really help <clears throat> my thought process. And the whole safe space, like, to grow, live, and all that stuff. Because, like, it was just all of that stuff happened for me. What well, didn't happen for me, should I say. Right. And now I'm, like... Reflecting on that, that moment or those moments, should I say, it's like it makes a lot more sense why it's hard for an individual to grow past it right. when you're stuck in that same environment. So what would you say to a person who's stuck in an environment and they're trying to get out, but they can't due to either manip manipulation, they can't because they may not have anywhere else to go, they can't because everyone's around them saying like, oh, you need to stay at that person because either he or she has a good job, she makes good money, they provide. What's someone's escape to get away from that to look kind of like, you know, leave that mentality alone and to move forward? Yeah. The first thing is you have to, I mean, this is probably the hardest step, but you have to believe that your life can be better and that mm. you deserve more. Sure. That's the first step. Because if you don't fundamentally believe I did not deserve this, my life can be better. Mm. I don't have to take this type of treatment. It is going to be very hard for anything else to happen past that. So the first step is to start believing that. So that's self-love, right? Believing in yourself, loving yourself enough to, to care about removing it. The next thing is you have to be willing to let it all go. Burn it all to the ground. Friendships, family, job, location, everything. That's the hardest. I think that might be the hardest part for some people, though. I 100% agree. Letting go because, like, you have to let go of even the, <clears throat> the person who did it to you. But you also got to let go of the person who they're connected to. And that sometimes is hard because the relationship that you develop with those people who may not see through the lens of you is super hard to let go. I've been there before. 
and I'm in that space now where it's like I'm letting people go. I'm trying to like set a healthy boundary with these people because it's like you still side on that side. Right. You don't see it through my lens. And and what I would say to people is it's very much like weightlifting. If you're going and you, you're going to bench press right, you're going, you're going to get to it. Normally you have a spotter and that mm-hmm. spotter is there just in case the bar slips or, you know, your muscles get tired and it starts sliding back down. We want you to die out there. Right. Look for a spotter in your life. Look for someone who will help you when it gets hard. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to sit here up here and sugarcoat it. It is not easy. No. It is, it is not something that happens overnight. It is a process. But what makes it better is when, and I'm big on environment. When you get in an environment where there is someone or something or the, the general feeling of that environment is I support you. Mm-hmm. It becomes a lot easier. For sure. Because now... Even if you don't have the words to say, someone may be able to say it for you. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the physical ability to get up and do it right then and there, someone might be able to help you through it. I've gone to the courtroom. I've gone to the police department and helped individuals fill out their report. I didn't do it for them. Mm-hmm. You have to still do your process. Absolutely. But I went with you. And just being there, not necessarily saying something, because too many times I think people try to talk. When they don't have anything valid to say. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just sit and listen and say, I'm here for you. I don't know how to help. I don't necessarily know what to do, but I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. And that's really all a lot of people need. For sure. And so when you say, well, what would I tell somebody? I would say, find you a spotter. Find that one person in your life that you know you can call. I remember uh, growing up, there, there's this thing that they used to have. I think it was it was either AT&T or T-Mobile, somebody, mm-hmm. where you had your top five. You remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. You got to find your top five. And it's, it's, it, I laugh because <laughs> your top five, right? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> okay. But your top five, right? Those individuals that you know that that relationship is so pure. And sometimes <laughs> people get knocked out the top five, Joe. Oh, for sure. It's a hard reality. But when they, if you've got to reset the whole phone and start with a whole new top five, you got to do it. So one of the biggest, well, not biggest, one of the hardest things for anybody who's dealt with sexual, sexual anything is trust. Right. Reestablishing trust with anybody. For me, it was reestablishing trust with male figures in my life. Right. You know, it's just, it was hard for me because my predator was a male. So it was hard for me to, to develop relationship with men. It was hard for me to cultivate relationships with men. It was, that was like the hardest thing. And to this day, it's still hard to like really get close with men. Wow. I don't, I'm not lying. So how does someone who's dealt with this situation, how do they, what's some, some steps they can kind of go through to kind of reestablish trust with individuals or people of the same sex of their, um, their predators? You don't trust the individual. You trust their actions. So, and this is anybody watching. You ain't got to trust Jeremiah. You ain't got to trust the Hands Off Foundation. Trust our actions. So what I'm saying to you, Joe, is what do I repeatedly see you do? How do I see you move? How do I see you operate? My trust isn't necessarily in you. You can change your name, right? Mm-hmm. You could go to the, down to the, whoever you do it with, the state or the whoever, and you could say, hey, I don't want to be Jovan no more. Sure. I want to be Bob. Okay, well, Bob, you are. The name don't mean anything. The, 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 the body, right? You can add weight. You can drop weight. You can, all of those things mean nothing. 
but your actions. Do you do what you say you're going to do? Are you actually there when I call? Mm. Have you developed a pattern where you have warranted my trust? Mm -hmm. That would be what I would tell people to look for. Look for those people that are consistent and consistent when no one is watching. Because what we do know is that most sexual assaults are by people that we love, know, and trust. Absolutely. Right? Over 56%. Mm -hmm. So you would think that a lot more people would be upstanding, but look for those things when there's no benefit for them. That's how you start. And then the next portion is you don't give too much too soon. That's where boundaries come in. But I think a lot of people who have dealt with sexual trauma, that's one of the things they do is like, I got to, they're giving people, most people who have dealt with it have probably more likely been very giving people. Very giving, yes. Very giving. So how does one take that back? Like, you know, okay, I want to give, but I can't. They're in this like this double Dutch phase where I'm rocking back and forth. I want to, I want to, I want to, I'm hesitating. Like, the, how do you, how, what's the... You put boundaries in place. So let's break that down, right? We hear people say boundaries Yeah, we hear it all the time, time right? yeah. So if you have an iPhone or even an Android phone, do not disturb. After a certain period of time, calls don't come in. After 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock or whatever time it is, calls don't come in. Certain family members and, and people that may uh, uphold a certain type of behavior that you no longer want in your life, their numbers are blocked. You're not friends with them on Facebook. You're not following them on Instagram. You have to set up parameters where boundaries can be in place even when you get weak. Mm. So I'll use an example with my family, right? And People love their family, but where I want to go in life and what I want to do and what I'm doing does not always warrant the support of family. For sure. And it took me a long time to be okay with that. Cause I'm my only child. So mm-hmm. I've always, you know, I want to be with my cousins. I want to be with my aunts and uncles and, you know, this, that, and whatever family member it is. Because I grew up, it was just me, my mom, and my dad. That was it. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you look at it and you have to say, okay, let's take an examination of the behaviors of what's being done. I don't want this in my life. I don't want to be around this. And so if I can't physically tell you no, hey, I'm not going for it today, um. Nah, we ain't going for it today, uh, mama or daddy or whoever, grandma or grandpa, whatever, whoever it is, co-worker, friend, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, put some parameters in place. Uh, most phones have it now where you can set up to ignore certain calls or do different things. Put it in place where it doesn't even come into your mind frame. I tell people, if you can afford to do it, take a two-week vacation and block everybody. Mm. If you can do three weeks, do three weeks, block everybody. So nobody has access to you. And in that silence, it's nerve-wracking now. Let's, this ain't something for the faint of, of heart. That, really? it's, it's a lot of work that happens in the silence. Lots of work. But when you pull back, you have a chance to see you mm. and to hear you and to relook at situations. Most times we live in a reactive state, meaning we're just trying to survive. Right? You ask most people, how you doing? I'm just trying to survive. It's not just a thing to say. Most people truly are just trying to survive, mm-hmm. trying to keep the roof over their head, trying to keep the car running, trying to make it back and forth to work. They're trying to survive. Absolutely. And if you're in survival <clears throat> mode, you can never be in thriving mode. Mm. Because if you're surviving, that means every second is a fight. For sure. You're, trying to, you're just trying to... You ever seen somebody that can't fight and they in a fight <laughs> with somebody that really can fight? And so they just... 
there is no opportunity. <laughs> I mean, no opportunity. There yeah. is no opportunity for them to be able to actually land a hit. For sure. And really take over the fight. Because they are just trying to not die. Uh -huh. Like, fam, yeah. haymakers coming at me. I'm just trying to live. Mm -hmm. And that's how most people really, truly are living their life. They're just, are you just... <laughs> they just that's how they live in their life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how most survivors are living their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can smile. I can I can walk in here. Yeah, I'm I'm great, man. That life For is sure. fabulous. I can hit you with one of them real mm -hmm. quick. That does not mean I'm not trying to survive. Absolutely. And so you need a second where you step back and you get out of survival mode and you can assess. Mm. One of the things that I like about Navy SEALs and Marines. You can bring your back up. You thank you, because I was sliding down. I, I didn't want to make it obvious, but I was like, boy, I'm on the floor over here. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that I like about uh, these very tactical organizations, Black Panthers, I loved it, is taking the time to assess the playing field. Mm -hmm. That's why I like chess. Taking time to assess the playing field. Because if you get that moment to assess, I promise you, I, if you don't believe nothing else, I say, take a moment to assess what's going on in your life. Peel back. Because once you see it and you know where it's at and where it's going, and I'm going down again, Joe. I'm going down again. <laughs> and listen, listen. <laughs> but if, if you take that moment to assess, right, uh -huh. and you see what's on the playing field, you can say, okay, there's trauma right there. Yeah. There's, there's toxic family members right there. Mm. There's bad coworkers. There's a terrible place to work. I don't like this church no more. What they preach is not for me. Once you can see the playing field, now you know how to navigate it. Mm. It's kind of like hopping in your car with blindfolds on and just saying, I'm going to drive. It doesn't work. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're trying to avoid. You're just out here just swerving all over the lanes. Yeah, I tried that one time and crashed. Gee whiz. <sighs> and that's what most people do. Mm -hmm. They live their life in survival mode until yep. they crash. Yeah. And so you got to take that time to assess. Take that moment back. I think that uh, for me, I went to Hawaii with my wife. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was actually very freeing for a very surprising reason. Um, I said, okay, I'm not going to be on my phone while we're while we on vacation. I'm going to try to stay off my phone, you know, try not to check emails the whole night. But while I was there, I've always been, I don't think I'm that big, actually. Let's just get that out the way. I don't, I don't think I'm just a large guy. Like, You're not. 600-pound life, man. There's a lot of, this, I don't think I'm the biggest like person. You're average. I'm average. I'm pretty <laughs> average, I would think. Yeah. But it's always been a thing for me, like, just... Walking around with my shirt off or whatever, because I ain't got no six pack. I ain't ripped, but I'm just average. You know, yeah, yeah. You know I'm the homie. I'm the homie. Okay, I can take that. I'm the homie. And um, but when I was in Hawaii, I was talking to a guy. None of the guys had shirts on. He was like, "Yeah, you take your shirt off, man. Just get comfortable." Don't I don't think I do. I'm ready for that, sir. But I don't mind if I do. But what happened was, it was the craziest thing because when I got back to Georgia, mm -hmm. I never wanted to wear a shirt, like going to the beach or whatever, because. I unlocked a part of me that I was never comfortable mm. with, but it happened when I peeled away. <clears throat> when I got away from people, I don't. I didn't know anybody. Well, I take it back. I knew two people in Hawaii, but for the rest, I didn't really know anybody. Right. So it was nobody that I was gonna see there that's gonna be able to judge me or tell me, you know, boy, look at you, what you, because you know how we do. Boy, you out there looking <laughs> like saddlebags, boy. Like you know, we gonna roast, we gonna crack jokes, we gonna, you know, for we sure. gonna do, what we gonna do, yeah, yeah. especially when you know people. Mm -hmm. There was nobody in Hawaii that I knew, and so. That time away, and this is what I mean by peeling away. When I peeled away, I was able to see things from a completely different perspective. Like, why am I living my life with other people? Ain't like nobody care. First off, I'm married, happily. And uh, she liked it when I put a ring on it, so, you know, it was good there. Uh, 
I'm a good father to my kids. They like, you know, punching me in the stomach. It gives them a little giggle. So, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the other, by all accounts, I'm very healthy, mm-hmm. right? Don't get sick at all. When I go do my checkups, it's great bill of health. What really is holding me back from just, and it's very small, right? Because mm-hmm. we're talking about sexual assault, which is much bigger than just not wanting to wear a shirt. But I use that example. As a part of the process. As part of the process. Because I can't tell other people to face their fears and move forward past their trauma if I'm not willing to do it. Mm. And then I said, well, why did it, when did I get this point? Because I used to <laughs> run around outside all the time, no shirt on, playing basketball, football. Oh, because when I picked up a little weight, yeah. it didn't look the same. It didn't feel the same. And you know how, it, you know how your teammates are. Well, look at you, boy. You blowing up, ain't you? God, look at you. So now it's like, I'm going to wear a little tank top. Yeah, 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 Damn, yeah. I don't want to be all out there. The white tank top, too. Yeah, the white tank top. Yeah, you know what I mean? I'm going to show your skin. I'm going to show, but I ain't going to show all of it because, you know, y'all ain't even going to keep playing me. For sure. And so, but when you take that moment to assess the playing field and kind of reflect, mm-hmm. now you see where things are coming from. Why did someone pick me to feel as if I was the one that they could pick on? Mm. Oh, I'm very giving. So I, I, I was unassuming. I trusted that they meant well. Right. Oh, I over, maybe I overshared. And this is not to victim blame. Let's be very clear. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want anybody watching this thing as victim blame. This is about assessing so that you understand, because predators assess. Let's be very clear. Yeah. It is less than 5% of the time, less than 10% of the time, our predators just randomly going out and attacking people randomly. Mm-hmm. That does happen, but it's, it's, it's not as much as a very planned, methodical process right. for saying, okay, I can play on this person. And I don't want to say weakness, but I can play on this person's blind spots. We'll call it a blind spot. Because mm-hmm. you don't realize, you don't see. I didn't realize I'm very giving. But people, other people realize that. People will play on that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. People will say, oh, I know, I know. <laughs> My daddy, he cracks me up. I'll give you an example. He's, he, I got him when he starts tipping now. But, you know, he's a very old school kind of guy. Leaving a tip, he's just like, you did your job. You get paid to do <laughs> your job. That's, for? What am I going to pay you again for? Yeah. <laughs> so, but me, on the other hand, I've always been like, I want to try to leave a tip. And I use that as a small example to show, like, people can pick up differences and say, okay, I probably ain't going to be able to hustle this person out of money because they ain't going to come off none, no mm-hmm. way. Yep, yep. This person, I know they're already a big giver. Mm-hmm. If I come with a sad enough story, if I come with enough of a, 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 a play, I got them. I got them. Predators do that. Mm-hmm. And so you have to do the same thing for your own life and say, where are the blind spots? Where are the areas where I can be susceptible to X, Y, Z things so that not so that you can blame yourself, so you can get stronger. Yeah. And that goes back into environment. It's the same with entrepreneurship. You may not be the best accountant. You probably should start talking to some accountants so you can see, ooh, I got a lot of money just flowing out the books here that I don't need to be having. Right, right, right. It's the same thing with our life. We assess everything on a job. They'll tell you all your metrics. I can call any company right now. They can say, we have this many employees that showed up late, this many employees that was on time, this many employees that did this. We've got a report for this, a report for that, and a report for this. They assess. For sure. If you go to a courthouse, we had this many offenders that we locked up, we had this many offenders that we got misdemeanors, this many offenders with this, they assess. We assess everything in our life. We got a report for everything except a check-in with us. Mm. A check-in to see where can we be stronger. Where are we really strong at? Where do we excel? Where do we have areas for growth and opportunity? Most people don't check in on themselves, Joe. They don't know nothing about themselves. Diagnostic is just reading NA because they ain't did no type of assessment. 
I agree. I was <laughs> percent because I was um having a conversation with my homegirl about two or three weeks ago, and we were really realizing at 34, going on 35, there's some key things missing from our lives. Oh. One is an assessment of self. Mm. Another one was, you know, core values. Yeah. But, you know, it was like she asked, like, I was like, yo, what are your core values? And she was able to spit them out, but it was not until as of recent that she was able to spit hers out. And I had to ask myself, what are my core values? Right. Right. Because I, <clears throat> when I think victims of trauma, it's just like you just don't think so much of yourself anymore. And you lose yourself. Like, I, lo- I know I lost myself for a minute. Like, I was out there just lost. And now that I'm, like, in this journey of healing and helping right. others heal as well, it's like so much is coming to me. Have, like, all that stuff you talking about. It's like, a new joke. Yeah, oh, for it's sure. It's a new joke. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Like, I've been in therapy. I've been, you know, taking assessments. Like, I've been asking like, the hard questions that I right. don't want to ask. And I think victims need to start doing these things to asking other people that they trust these hard questions that, whatever you notice different about me. Right. What, what are you some things you feel like, you know, I can change, that I need to change? You know, because, like, for a while, I was stuck in the victim mentality. Everything, I'm always a victim. Even sometimes if I played the part, the part in it. Right. So it's like growing through sexual assault is a hard thing to do. Right. 100%. It takes time. So I don't want people to feel like it's a, it's a rush job. No. Where you got to like, you know, by tomorrow I got to be this person. By Wednesday I got to be this person. Thursday yeah. I got to be this person. Friday this person. Saturday. And by Monday I need to be 180. It doesn't happen that way. No. I went from 12 to 19 not telling anybody about what happened to me. Right. 19 to 29, about not 12 to 29, without talking to anybody about it, as far as like getting therapeutic help. So just imagine like, you know, umpteen years of just going through all that. Right. And I'm sure there's another person out there who's going through the same exact thing. What do you say to somebody who's gone through that same exact experience that I went to, I went through? How do you, how do they lessen the time? You lessen the time by being gracious with yourself. Mm. And realizing hindsight is 2020. So what you know now, you didn't know then. For sure. And you have to give yourself some grace while still building accountable. Mm-hmm. Most survivors that I talk to, they beat themselves up. I shouldn't have went here. I shouldn't have did. Th- Let me look. Hey, listen, I got to get straight into it. There is nobody responsible for your assault except the predator. Let's keep it really super funky real. No one. That's, you you got to set in that moment for no, a minute. For sure. yeah, because yeah, yeah. a big part of what takes so long is you blaming yourself mm-hmm. and, and not wanting to talk about it because you're ashamed, you're embarrassed. But there is, there is no, and I want the guy I want to say this, there is, no, there is no shame per se in being human. Yeah. These, people have to understand, these predators are not, in the vi- Mo- Ted Bundy was a very likable guy. Most predators are likable people. They're people that you can kick it with, you can chill with, that you can you you would never suspect. Nobody thinks of grandpa as as the guy that's out here raping the grandkids. That's not the first thought. When you think of grandpa, you think, oh, come here, sonny boy, I got a peppermint in my pocket. We're gonna go get some ice cream. You're not yeah. thinking of, oh, yo, grandpa really out here, he out here. Mm-hmm. That's not your first thought. So you're not, you're not wrong for assuming that the person that's in your life that you're told 
is loving you and is going to care for you is a bad person. Yeah. And is making bad decisions. So that's the first thing is you got you have to love yourself enough to give yourself grace to say, okay. I leaned into some assumptions that clearly are not true and no longer serve me. Now that I know, I want to do something different. Mm. Because <clears throat> the biggest portion is being able to process and forgive yourself, even though you weren't necessarily in the wrong. Yeah. And I think what I'm seeing now, and I could be wrong, to, and f- feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. What's happening now is because you've been able to talk about it and get it out, it's freeing. It doesn't hold you anymore. See, the, one of the biggest things about assault is the shame mm-hmm. is a manipulative technique that predators will use to keep you enslaved. Mm. Because you feel so ashamed that this happened, you don't want to tell. Right. And so now I can keep coming back and doing whatever I want to do because now I'm controlling you. Not physically. I don't have to touch you. Once you've got somebody's mind. That's why environment is so important because if you have an environment that allows the mind to be free and cultivate and grow, it's hard to control a free mind. For sure. We say it all the time in the black community as a joke, you know, if, if only they would have read, they would have more people would have been free, but it's really not a joke. Mm-hmm. Your mind will hold you back more times than any shackles, any chains, any physical being. And what I'm seeing now is you're in an environment where your mind is constantly stretching. It's constantly growing. It's constantly in an assessment mode. So you're looking back and saying, hmm, I should have moved a little differently on that. Or, hmm, buddy moving. I don't like the way buddy moving. Now nah, we're not going to build no relationship with. Now nah, I don't really trust you like that, dog. You just something about it ain't lining up. And now that you're doing that. Ooh, it's a whole new joke. It's a whole new joke. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a whole new joke. And that's, that's what you have. That's what really has to happen. Is you have to get in an environment, get around people. And if you don't have that environment, mm-hmm. look, mimic it. Yeah. Mimic what, for me, I didn't really have anybody to, to show me, per se, the ropes of what I'm involved in. I don't want to say I still don't. There's people mm-hmm. that pour it into me. But I said, okay, let's start with the basics. How to become a sexual assault advocate. And I read every link that I could. First 10, 15 links. All right. Let's reach out to the organizations that are doing some things. Who can I talk to? Who can I learn from? And I built my own environment. And sometimes that's also what you have to do. And this goes back to what I said, leave everybody. Lock everybody. Start completely fresh. Start completely new. Because sometimes you'll find people that know nothing about you love you the most. That's true. I've gotten some of the most love and support from people who know nothing of me. They just know I'm a good person trying to do good things. And that's all it takes. And, and if anything, I would want to tell anybody listening or watching, that's what it should be. You should be around people, individuals, environment that truly give to you mm-hmm. and you can give to it, them or it. Absolutely. Without it being a prerequisite or any type of uh, attachments to it. I came to the podcast because you asked me. Not because I'm going to hit you up later and be like, oh, hey, now, you know, guest appearance, fam. You got to. Ain't none of that. Yeah, yeah, I did yeah, the yeah. podcast because I like what you're doing. I believe in where you're going. Got love for you. If more people operated on that principle, we get a lot further. But because everyone is used to operating with a certain MO or an angle and they're trying to get in it, they're trying to survive. It's, I, I'm, I'm in a place of thriving. If nobody ever invites me to another podcast, I'm okay. I'm going to talk my talk regardless. So I'm thriving. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> leaping from place to place trying to survive on someone else's merit. Yeah. That's a powerful place to be. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. You can't be controlled at that point. Can't be. So let's talk about the foundation. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into it. I'm excited that you're doing it, man. Uh, 
I'm excited because a black man is doing it. I feel that. <laughs> Seriously, like you don't see too many black men becoming advocates of sexual assault. No, you, you don't see a lot of men. <laughs> you just, 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 we're not in this space as not, much. We're not, and I believe you may be the gatekeeper for a lot of men to step up. Not only step up, but also open up. Because men too also go through, like the Me Too yeah. movement was a big women's movement. Right. But I believe there's a lot of men who one are starting to realize, you know, like, when chick touched me when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, that right. was sexual assault. Right. That wasn't a, that wasn't a, a, a what do they say, a passing of the baton yeah, or, yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. a step into manhood? No, mm -hmm. that was statutory. Right? Yeah, for sure. Is what it and was. it's like a lot of men are realizing, oh, wow, this is why I'm so sexual. This is why I like sex so much. This is right. why I like sex to be so aggressive or right. however the manner it happened to you, you tend to, tend to transfer that same energy throughout your life. Yep. So as a male in this sexual assault space, what are some tips that you can give to men on one, sexual assault, two, coming out about their sexual assault, and three, how they can get involved? Yeah. Uh, so if I, hopefully I remember all three, but the first yeah, no. is... <laughs> <laughs> the first is um, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. Be be okay with losing some friends. I will wholeheartedly tell you, since I've started talking about sexual assault and coming at it from the angle that I come at it, uh, definitely some relationships have changed, mm. and that's okay. I don't want to be friends with a predator. I don't want to be friends with an enabler who's okay with predators. So if that means this relationship over, it's over, and I'm cool with that. You've got to be okay with that. Yeah. And that's what I had to. Let's okay. If we really want to be transparent. I had some crying nights Like Dang bro That was I thought we was I knew we was gonna be forever Like that's the No It sucks It does it Especially if you grew up with people mm -hmm. And you Like They know you know you like Not Jeremiah That's the executive director Of the foundation that, But that's Jay That's the homie like Oh you know Jay like to do That's why mm, It's gonna hit different When, when, when they gone and you have to be comfortable with that. And you have to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. And when you become okay with that, that's the first step. Because as much as there are men who want to get into this space, sure. they don't want to lose what they've built and who they're attached to and the status that comes along with whatever they've done. And you don't have to be a celebrity. You don't have to be rich. You can have, if you're the fry guy at McDonald's, you could be that fry guy like, oh, yeah. uh, Billy on the fries? Oh, Billy on the, oh, them fries going to be, oh, Billy do the, you can be that person mm -hmm. in whatever environment that environment is for you. And people don't want to lose that. So the first part is you got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and losing a lot of whatever may be attached to the life you built. I tell people now, when we, when we have conversations, I'm bringing up sexual assault. If that makes you uncomfortable, don't talk to me. Mm. Because we know the facts, right? 28 million women a year affected by sexual assault. One out of every six women. If we want to talk about men, 33% or better of men have been affected by some type of sexual assault in their lifetime. Like, if you want to, do, if you want to talk numbers, we can talk numbers. So it's a conversation that needs to be had. I'm going to be the one having it. Mm -hmm. If that makes you uncomfortable, I don't know, fam. I might not be the person you need to talk to. And I'm sure. okay with that. So that's the first thing. Then the second thing is, um, I think you asked me, I was hoping you remember it Because you didn't remember Yeah 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 It's, all, it's a whole Stick up in it I know you asked me How to get involved How men can get involved How men can come out Who've been dealt, There you go That's what it was yeah. How you can come out Find that environment mm. um, I don't. I won't say reach out to Joe Because you may not be ready for That I actually am If they Reach out to Joe Find someone Holla who's, at me Find someone who's having that conversation 
and an environment that you, even if trust is low, find it that you trust enough, your top five. Mm-hmm. Have that conversation. And have it with someone who does not have a track record of running their mouth to other people. Mm-hmm. Because what people have to stop doing is becoming the judge, juror, and executioner for a trial they never were invited to. Yeah. So you... When you come out and you want to have this, start having this conversation, I would say the first thing is start journaling. Write it out. And I mean, don't, don't, like, don't write it out like one of them essays you had to do for school and you didn't want to do it, so you write in sentences like, I love the cat. The cat <laughs> loves food. Food is good for the cat. Like, no, yeah. really write that thing out. Mm-hmm. My name is XYZ. I don't really know where to begin, but I guess we'll just jump in. This is a part of my story. XYZ, this happened to me. This is how this made me feel. And because I felt this way, I started to do this. I don't really know if that's right or wrong, mm-hmm. but here we are. Like, really right. Yeah. Let it all, I mean, let it all go. I'm talking about ugly face, boo boo. <laughs> I'm so tired of living this life. Like, let it all go. For sure. Start with that. Because yeah, yeah. once you can write it out, you can read it. Mm. Once you can read it, you can say it. There you go. Once you can say it, you a dangerous man. Absolutely. With some money in his pocket. Ooh. Keep up. You know what I mean? Like you can you can move once you do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You can move. There's there's some freedom in the in that yeah. in that process. And and you can start whichever part is easier for you. For me, obviously I'm a better talker. It's easier for me to talk about things mm-hmm. than it is for me to write them or read them. And this is how my mind works. So whichever one of those three works for you, journaling is still my top go-to though when you're beginning that process because it's quiet. Mm-hmm. You don't have to try to find the words. Yeah. You can write, um, and I don't know. Literally write it. Like a lot of times when I talk to people, they're like, well, I don't want to, I don't, it seems crazy, right? No, write every single thought that comes to your mind exactly how it comes. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to have subject verb agreement. It's like an essay that's being graded. It's your life. So write that thing out how it comes to you and go with it. And then the third is how do you get involved? Once you do that portion of the work, whether you've been assaulted or not, because me, I've never gone through that particular type of like I, I, we don't have the same story in that sense. Right. But we can relate to the feeling of being betrayed. We can relate to the feeling of being taken advantage of. We can relate to the feeling. And so once you've you've been able to relate to those feelings, now you can start talking to other people because y'all have a commonality. I don't mean trauma bonding. I mean, you have a commonality of what you can discuss to be able to push forward. Because mm-hmm. there's, there's difference. Trauma bonding is just, woe is me, woe is you too, let's woe together yeah. over this trauma. And that is another thing that predators use to manipulate. Oh, you had that happen to you? Me too. Now you've, you've developed this bond and you think that, well, this is the only person that will ever love me. Because they've been through what I've been, and that's not true. There's too many people on this planet that love you. Don't, let, don't get caught up around with somebody who's just trying to use you. Mm-hmm. And that's how you start. And then you find groups, you volunteer, you know, yeah. you follow the hashtags, et cetera, et cetera. And get involved. Or you can reach out to the Hands Off Foundation. We always need volunteers. We always need donations. We always need all those things. Oh, I synced. I did. I was going to ride it out, though. You didn't even have to say nothing. I was just going to, I was going to try to look cool, too, and lean back, I mean, like, you know, like yeah, dropping the pack. I might just stay here. I may just stay here. It doesn't look too bad. Does it? No. I don't know. What y'all think? They're going to comment and be like, he sunk down to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Jeremiah, man, dope conversation, man. Appreciate you. Um, going to do a quick commercial real quick. Let's and do it. And then what I want you to do is tell the people how they can get involved yep. with the Hands-On Foundation particularly, um, where they can find you, 
the website, all that good stuff. And just close out, man, with a word of positive affirmation or just something positive, man, that it's going to make somebody feel good. All right. Okay. This episode is sponsored by the Embolden Institute. It's the only place that I know that's sending out daily text messages to you live and direct to your phone immediately to you. I send out daily affirmations. I send out daily messages of encouragement and healing because this is a space where we're healing together. We're on this journey together and I want us all to go on it together. You don't have to walk this journey alone. I'm here with you, holding your hand, walking you through the process. You can text me. I text you back. You got a question. I got an answer. If I can't, don't have the answer, I'll find the answer for you. I'll find somebody with the answer for you. So listen, text me 404-476-6780. That's 404-476-6780. You can text the word HEAL or AFFIRMATION to that same exact number. You take text them back to back if you're going to be on both lists. Text the word HEAL first. Let it come through. Text for affirmation. Let that come through. And then you'll be subscribed to my list. I send these out seven days a week, 365. We don't miss a date. We don't miss, don't miss a beat. It's coming to you live and direct. So listen, the is to Jeremiah. Close up, brother. Yeah, if I had to say anything, I want you to look at the screen wherever you're watching, whether it's on your phone, your tablet, your laptop, your buddy's phone. I don't care. I want you to look at the screen. I want you to say this with me. I am. No, no, no. Go back. Say it like how you really mean it. Like, don't don't play with me because I'm not playing with you. This is your life. This is for real. I am. And I want you to realize that whatever you say after I am is what you give power to. So I am beautiful. I am loved. I am intelligent. I am excellent. I am extraordinary. I am life changing. I am deserving of happiness. I am deserving of freedom. I don't care what your affirmation is because it's not my life. It's yours. I want to give you the keys to empower yourself every morning, every day, every afternoon. I need you to say I am. And whatever comes after that. Is the most important thing because you are not a victim unless you want to be. But you can be a survivor because I am a survivor. I am a thriver. I execute. Mm, you feel good, don't it? I know. Let's go take a time a little bit. It's gonna, you're going to stutter a little bit. You're going you're gonna to catch yourself slipping. It's okay. But just know that I am working toward being better. You see how it works is that whatever you say after I am is what becomes. There's a power in the universe that ties to what you believe. So don't you ever in your life for a second believe that you are anything less than what you decided you want to be. Peace. We like the end, Joe. I don't know. Well, you want to keep because I'm, I'm no, in a mood, Joe. You can talk, man. You can talk. I'm in a mood, Joe. I got another guest behind me. Okay, all right. But um, let, me, <laughs> <laughs> let us know where, how they can find you for sure, man. And um, if they want to get involved, how can they get involved? Yeah, just Google The Hands Off Foundation, INC. We come up, baby. We're a 501c3 organization. This is real deal. Holyfield. Google us. That's it. That's all you got to do. Hands off, the Hands Off Foundation everywhere. One last thing. One last thing. Why the teal here? Oh, yes. I'm glad you asked. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going to make it quick. Um, I dyed my hair too, and I locked it up for two reasons. There was a group, and I, history, history buffs, drop it in the comments. I'm not sure. But there was a group that when colonizers were coming to take over this African kingdom, they were so focused on war that they would lock their hair together. They didn't have time to shave it off or do anything. They, they would let their hair lock up. And when colonizers came to impose, they would dread it to see the people with the locks. And that's why they start calling them dreadlocks. So I don't call them dreadlocks. I call them locks. And, but that's the feeling I want. I want predators. I want sexual assault people. I want people who are in this space trying to hurt others. I want them to dread to see me coming. I want you to feel fear in your soul when I step in the same room as you. That's why I lock my hair. And I dyed my hair teal, one half teal, one half black, because half of the world understands that sexual assault is a problem. Half of the world understands that we have people that we need to take care of and that survivors need our support. This is not just a one-off situation. This is most of our population has been affected by some type of sexual assault. And then we have those that like to live in a la-la land and believe that it was just a one-off. Maybe she should have wore something different. <laughs> yeah. 
So I need you to see both sides of the picture. Hmm. That's deep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. People thought I lost my mind. It was like, yeah, Jeremiah done died his hair and he's all over the place. I did it. I just, I just, I just that's just Jeremiah. <laughs> that's just him. Like that's, that's the guy I met. Right. That's right. the guy I know. Right. So I was like, yeah, that's the thing he was doing. Then I think you told me about it when we were doing um, the program we were doing together. Right. And I was like, that's like, that is like the dopest thing ever. Yeah. And it's very bold and courageous of you. Yeah. And I intend on, so people ask me, how long am I going to keep it this way? And honestly, originally it just started as like, I'm going to do it for every year or two. But it has become a statement piece because I like what I like the uneasiness that it gives people. Mm. When I walk into a boardroom, when I walk into a meeting, there's a certain uneasiness. And that's what people need to feel. For sure. Because how dare you assault other people on a daily basis and have the smugness to be comfortable in your chair? I mm. wish you might. I'm not the one. Mm. Oh, yeah, Joe. It's for real. Well, there you have it, folks. <laughs> it's another episode of Living Blessed Podcast. We are out. Peace. <laughs>